Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome into New Yorker. I'm your host, Caroline Hendershot, and today we have an amazing guest. I know I say that every week, but this one, I truly mean it. Sam Rappaport joins us. She is the Senior Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion with the NFL and a former quarterback. Sam, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Caroline. I'm pumped. Of course. Okay, so let's first start off with football and kind of your initial discovery of the sport and how you really fell in love with it. Yeah, in Canada, where I grew up, I was so fortunate that girls touch football existed. And, you know, I played a lot of sports when I was young, and I felt kind of average at all of them. And then as soon as a football was put in my hand, I was able to throw a spiral pretty quickly. And I was like, man, I love this. And so I asked my dad to help me find somewhere that I could play. And we looked in the newspaper at that time. This was way pre-internet. And we found a article about girls and women's touch football that was existed in this, my hometown, Ottawa, Canada. And I joined and it was amazing. I fell in love with the sport then and I hadn't stopped playing until probably like six, seven years ago. So did Canada have like multiple flag football teams for women? Because I feel like that's a big difference between the States and Canada. When I moved to the U.S., I was shocked that opportunities for girls and women exist in Canada and Mexico, but they didn't really exist in the United States, the place where football is queen, right? So when I was young at the NFL, I actually started a program to try to get more girls involved in flag football. But when I was young, I thought it was normal. And then when I moved here, everyone's like, what do you mean you play football? And I was kind of confused at the question because I never was asked that back home. So, you know, the league now, the NFL is working hard to, you know, get legitimize girls flag and move away from powder puff, which is a term I can't stand uh, to legitimize it because it's a real sport and it's amazing right. and girls should be able to play as much as boys should. Was it offered like through your high school or was it kind of more so the route of like um, like an AAU or like a travel soccer league where it was like separate from school, but it was still like widely popular? So it was both, which is amazing. So I played touch football for my high school all five years in Canada. We had five years of high school. Um, so I played all five years in high school. And then I also played for my town, Ottawa. And we played against other Canadian cities. Um, you know, we traveled and we would go to other other provinces to play against each other. So it was so I got to play both. I got to play uh, girls touch football in the spring and then in the fall and in the summer as well. And in the winter, we played indoor. Uh, so we really played around around the year. But, yeah, I was able to play for my town. Wow, that's just so impressive because I feel like flag football is really starting to get 
and pick up a momentum in the states now for girls in high school and younger. But before that, it was definitely like not even a thing because I remember growing up and that was never even an option. It was more of the typical sports that you see like volleyball or soccer. But to have it at both levels, that's amazing for you to have had that your whole childhood. Yeah, I didn't know anything different. And when I moved here and I told people I played, so many women and girls like you would say, oh man, if that was offered, I would have played, right? Almost everyone honestly says that to me. And and that is why, interestingly, girls flag football was implemented in Florida and Alaska at the high school level because they surveyed girls at the school and they said, if we were to offer a new sport, what would be the number one sport you would choose to play? And resoundingly, both uh, states mentioned flag football. And so they started as a response to Title IX, and now other states have followed suit. So the demand is there. Girls want to play. It's just a matter of people offering the sport in a legitimate way, because probably when you were in high school, you know, Powderpuff, I assume, was still around. And that kind of makes a mockery of our involvement in the sport, which is why I'm not a big fan. Right. I I remember we had one Powderpuff game in high school, and it was always around homecoming. And it would be like the juniors played the seniors and the freshmen played the sophomore kind of thing. And I remember that one game. We were never allowed to play in it either because my volleyball coach always thought we were going to get hurt. But I remember being allowed to play in it my senior year. And I remember, I think I was playing like tight end or wide receiver, one of the two. And I went up for a ball and I was taller than everyone in my high school growing up. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I went up for a ball and I pulled it down and I was like, wow, this is so fun. Like, I wish I could do this more often. And I was so bummed because it was only once a year. But you're right. Like, it it didn't feel legitimate because not only the name, but just because it was only offered once a year. Right. And that that doesn't give you an opportunity to develop and get better, right? That's just kind of a show. And so, um, you know, it really needs to be legitimate in schools and give girls the opportunity to play because football is really ingrained in the fabric of this country. Everyone, if they don't love it, they know about it, they're involved in it in some shape or form typically. So, you know, why not give every kid the opportunity to play that sport in a, in a legitimate way? I'm not into making a mockery of the sport. Yeah, no, not at all. Okay, but for you, you played quarterback for the Canadian women's flag football team and you played for the Montreal Blitz, which was a tackle team. Now, how were those opportunities even presented to you? Like, how did you climb the ladder to get to that and joined a tackle team after all that time playing flag? It's interesting because it's not. there's no linear path for us, right? With boys, you play peewee football, and then you go to you know junior high school, junior high, high school, college, the pros. It's so obvious, right? For us, you kind of have to create your own path. So... I was playing for Ottawa for a long time, and then they were putting a a team together for Team Canada, and the organizer asked me to quarterback the team, and I tried out and got it, which was incredible. This was a long time ago. And when the Montreal Blitz were created, I believe it was 2000, that's when I started college, and the owner of the team was walking by my campus, which was McGill University in Montreal, and she saw me throwing because I played intramural for McGill, which is why the reason I went to McGill is because they had intramural girls football. And she kind of she came she emailed me and she said, "Hey, would you try out for my tackle team?" And I called my dad and I spoke to my friends and I remember being like, "Listen." It was on an Indian reservation that was very far away from my campus. I had no car. I had no way to get there. My schooling was really tough at the time. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to do this. I don't know anything about tackle football. And then my, one of my best friends at the time said like, get your ass in the car. I'm going to drive you there and you're going. And I'll never forget that. I'm like, fine, I'll just try it once. 
And I tried it and I loved it. I loved the contact. There's something about this sisterhood that's created when you, you know, I hate using the war analogy, but when you go to battle with other people physically, it's, it's amazing. Like the, how I feel about my offensive line to this day, I played like 21 years ago, but to this day, like I'd do anything for them because all they did was try to make me look good on every single play. And so there's definitely this camaraderie that, that I got from tackle that I didn't necessarily feel all the time from flag because you're really putting your body into it. Um, and versus flag, which is a little bit more finesse. First of all, what a good friend to just not even listen to you and be like, I know what's best for you. And we're going in the car and we're leaving. I don't care yep. what you Shout say. out to Manisha Nandy. She was that friend. She put me in her car and she took me there. And I kind of credit her for me working at the NFL because she was the person <laughs> who pushed me. Yeah, that's that's truly like a best friend moment. Okay, but how do you kind of train? So you're saying flag is more finesse. So you're training for flag, you're training for flag. But then how do you shift and then go to a completely different aspect of football and train your body for tackle after all that time of not having that contact. It took some time. I, there, there's a lot of translatable, translatable skills between the two, right? But I really had to spend time on footwork. My footwork was atrocious, and my atrocious, and my coach loved to tell me that. Um, I really didn't understand, you know, the three-five-seven drop because we don't really do that in flag. And so I just kind of kept my footwork the same for my first season. And when I look at tape, I'm like, oh, I can't watch it. Uh, but I eventually learned, you know, the footwork and you learn kind of how to fall and how to get tackled, uh, which I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but my coach told me I was really good at getting tackled. Um, and you kind of, I kind of learned as I went and I only got to play for two seasons because I started at the NFL right after, but I miss it. I love it. And, you know, when I think back on my sports days, it's those two years that I go back to. So when you decided, okay, now it's time to get a job, how did you even begin to be like, what field do I want to go into? How do I like even apply to the NFL? Because I feel like when you're a little more naive and younger, you think, oh, like I can do anything. Like, why don't I just go work for the NFL kind of thing? Like it's easy, but it's not easy. So how did you make that jump? Yeah, I, so I was speaking to my sister at the time. I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I was such a football nut growing up. I mean, all my teachers in high school, all my friends knew I was just, it, it defined who I was, this sport defined who I was. And so my sister said, you know, if money wasn't a factor, what would you want to do? And I said, work for the Dallas Cowboys, because I was a huge Cowboys fan when I was little. And so she said, well, let's make it happen. And I kind of laughed. And I remember where we were when we had this conversation and I applied one year for an internship. I didn't get it. And then I spent my third year in university literally just trying to figure out how to stand out because I had no contacts to the NFL. Uh, I was a you know a young girl from Canada, woman from Canada that really didn't know anyone. And so I decided to send a football with my resume to the league office. And I wrote what other quarterback could accurately deliver a ball 386 miles. And I sent it with my resume and it stood out. And interestingly, uh, Brian McCarthy, our, uh, one of our heads of PR, recently told me that he just received a football with their resume, with a QR code for their resume on it. So maybe it, it uh, you know, it, it, it resonated with some people. But uh, you know, it stood out. Um, and yeah, 21 years later, I'm still here. That's such a good idea. How did you even come up with that? That's amazing. I mean, I have a crazy brain. You know, my wife always says like everyone's brain is here and mine's like somewhere here. <laughs> uh, it's it's one of my superpowers. I don't. It sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. But I really I knew that just sending my resume wasn't going to do it. And I think there are other ways to do that now if you're trying to get an internship. That's a little gimmicky to me now. Um, there are other ways to stand out. Um, and you know, we talk to our women in our program a lot. 
Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got him. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So, what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. I thought about how to do that. Well, hey, it worked. So that's all that's all that you can really chalk it up to. Yeah. <laughs> but so you started with the NFL, obviously, as an intern, but then you moved up as the youth football coordinator. But then you left for USA football to be the director of football development. So what did those two positions kind of entail and how did you use them to kind of catapult into your current position? So I left for USA football in 2010 because the the director of USA football, Scott Hallenbeck, gave me a great opportunity to run NFL flag and to create girls and women's programs for USA football, which is, you know, that's right in my wheelhouse. So I left to work for them. And while I was there, not only running NFL flag, I created a, a tackle football program for women called the Women's World Football Games. And that program was kind of a field of dreams. One week, every woman on the, in the, on the planet Uh, coming to one field for one week to learn from the best coaches in the United States. So we had women from Australia, New Zealand, China, Russia, Japan, you name it. I mean, literally all over the world, there were 25 countries in the last year of the program that were represented who just love football and just want to be a a part of it. So the objective of the program was to connect women from all over the globe so we can help develop this sport of women's tackle football that we love so much. And I remember my last year at USA Football, I was looking around at at these 25 countries, I forget how many, there are hundreds and hundreds of women at the program. And then I looked on the sidelines at a sun, on a Sunday watching the NFL, and it was just incongruent to me. And, you know, there were so many women who love this sport, who play the sport, who want to be a part of it, but have no front door into the sport. And that's really what led me into my next position back at the NFL to create the NFL Women's Forum was cr- building a door for them because the only thing that was missing was connections to people who could hire them. And that's how the NFL Women's Forum was born. How do you it's, – it's tough, right? Because how do you kind of open that door for women without getting overlooked but also – I feel like in this day and age, people sometimes think, oh, it's like an obligation that we do this. And it's not there's not real interest there when there is, like you're saying, and you've seen it with your own eyes. So how do you kind of balance that and combat that in your in your current role? So in our first year of the program in 2017, there was one head coach, one owner. Uh, You know, it was there wasn't much interest in it, but there was a lot of interest from the women. And now fast forward six years later, our seventh year of the program is starting this month in Indianapolis. I have 
during the program, it was Zoom last year, I had head coaches and GMs literally fighting over the participants saying, do not let so-and-so get that woman, like she's mine, she's great, Bola. And so, you know, the interest went from what is this, you know, is this window dressing? Is this like not for real to, wow, there is this huge talent pool that we're not looking at. And the best head coaches and GMs in the NFL are realizing how anti-competitive it is to only consider half the population. And so if you're not considering everyone, there's no way you can argue that you have the best staff. And I credit Ron Rivera a lot and Kim Pagula a lot for really leading the charge in year one when no one was interested in this, that those two raised their hands and said, hell yeah, we're going to do this. And both their clubs, uh, you know, have been phenomenal in this space. What are some of the biggest takeaways that coaches or GMs come out of the women's forum with once they finish the year or wrap the year? One of the most interesting anecdotes I heard from an NFL GM after the program, they brought in three female scouts. So they had gender equity on their scouting team from an internship standpoint. They had three women, three men. And he said the most interesting thing to him was there was this equality of testosterone, whereas normally when it's all men, there's this feeling in the room of like, you need to puff your chest and how manly can you be and blah, blah. And he said, when you better reflect society in, in the facility, he said it actually elevates the men and it elevates the women as well because you know nothing arguably really should be like one gender in the workforce right or you know of any one gender and so i really like that because when you better reflect society you have a better culture in your office so I I'm not a big fan of like, what do women bring to the workforce? You know, it's like, it's too nuanced. Women are too different to say, what do all women bring? But I will say when you reflect society with all genders in a workforce, I've heard from GMs and head coaches that it just, it softens the mood a little bit and it just allows people to better excel. So bringing women in actually helps men. That's such an interesting anecdote because I feel like growing up, I grew up with two sisters and a brother, but we were all so competitive and I never felt like kind of on the outside with guys or women's sports I just always kind of felt like an athlete and like a competitor and to hear that it actually betters the workforce like I've never thought oh I'm special because I'm a woman or I'm bringing this because I'm a woman like it all just kind of felt like natural to me so to hear that like it actually makes like a very big difference in the workplace that's so incredible Right. And that's, and, you know, you can generalize and say women bring X, Y, Z to the workplace. Right. I'm just not big on that because right. it's just, it's too, you can't take an entire gender and say they are like this. So um, yeah, I just, I love that analogy. And we just hear that the players also, they're used to it in college because in college they have female trainers, they have female staff members and they, they get to the NFL and it's all dudes. Right. And it's just, it's, it's a little unnatural for a workforce. So, uh, you know, I hear that women bring, you know, that, that balance to the workforce that a lot of coaches believe are successful. And if you look at the clubs that have been successful lately, I mean, it's not a coincidence that th- I think three of the last Super Bowls, three out of the f- last four Super Bowls have had female coaches on the sidelines, yep. including this one coming up, which is great. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I think that it really has developed and it's only going to continue to grow and get better and make teams better, which is like, the most exciting aspect of it. So I want to get into your current role being the director of diversity, equity, and inclusion with the NFL. What does your day-to-day look like with teams, interaction, and kind of just what you do typically? 
Sure. So I report to our chief diversity officer, Jonathan Bean, a phenomenal leader and brain in this area. And, you know, we have a, a, a team of one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, and we work together every day to try to operationalize DEI across the NFL. So whether that's, you know, dealing with the clubs to help them advance their plans and their efforts, or just being, you know, a, a helping hand for them, but also in, in our league office as well, trying to, to progress our league office to, you know, the bar that Commissioner Goodell sets for us, which is, you know, I've seen him you know, adamantly tell us what he expects from the league. And when we let him down in any way, like we've failed. And so that happens quite often. And so I'm, I'm, I love that we have a leader that demands this. And so now it's just putting the pieces together to figure out how to get to where we know we want to be. So when you see teams like the Jets, and I know there's plenty of teams across the NFL that are doing this, but expanding the a flag football league that they're helping kind of create and fund and expand from New York to Long Island to New Jersey, like how does that affect your current role with the NFL and how does that help your current role? My current role, we need a bigger pipeline of girls and women who want to work in this sport. And when I was growing up and when you were growing up, Caroline, I would assume many of us didn't really know that this path existed. And so why representation is so important, why we highlight our female coaches and our female staff as, as scouts is because we want young girls in this country to grow up knowing that they can work here. And so when you put a ball in their hands and when you do it in the way the Jets did, which isn't just like, hey, we're going to send you some flag belts and footballs, which is great. But when you really legitimize it by I was at your event you know, last week where you created these amazing locker rooms for the girls with their names on the same plates that the Jets players get in their uniforms and their gear, it just legitimizes them and it lets them understand that the NFL is behind this. It's a real sport. And you know, the more they play, the more they're likely to want to be involved in football in many ways as they grow up. So, you know, especially on the coaching side, we need more girls getting into coaching, volunteering at their junior highs or their high schools uh, to learn more about the sport of tackle football so we can get them in our pipeline. And so that's how it affects my role. But personally, the way I, the reason I love it is because girls should be able to do whatever boys do in sports and they should be able to play the sport they love, whether they want to work in it or not, whether they want to do anything more than just play and allow it to grow their confidence and, you know, get friends and, and you know, feel, feel powerful when you're that age. To me, that's why girls should play flag football, because if, it, if I didn't have it when I was growing up, I probably wouldn't have played any sport competitively. Right. Right. And I remember at the event that the Jets hosted, you actually said that there was a really interesting stat about polling high school girls and saying if you had uh, flag football versus no sports. What was that stat? The stat was we polled all of the girls that we spoke to in Florida who played high school flag football and, and Alaska, excuse me, both states. 50% of the girls said that if flag football was not offered for them, they would be inactive. And for a young girl growing up, Carolyn, you could probably put yourself back in that place. I certainly can. To, to rip that away from me would have been to rip my entire identity away from me. I never would have landed up at the NFL. I have no idea what I would have been doing, but I probably wouldn't be super passionate about it like I am the NFL. And it just, you know, it, it robs girls of the opportunity that boys get, which is to play the most popular sport in this country. So, but doing it right is something I'm very passionate about. And that's why I really, I, you know, that Jets event really touched me because everyone tries to do the right thing, but really to make them feel because they are, you know, as amazing as the Jets players were that day, I kind of saw something change in the girls on that day where they felt like, okay, you know, there's a future for this. And, you know, they saw 
Team USA quarterback, who is also a Pro Bowl captain, Vanita Crouch, who's phenomenal, and they were so inspired by her. And I just, you know, I really commend the Jets for not only just supplying equipment and, you know, backing them financially, but really putting their money where their mouth is and supporting them in a big way. It's it's the difference between saying and doing it, obviously, but like that added aspect of just belief, like when you really believe in a cause and believe in someone and the girls can feel that, it takes it to a whole different level. Like I know personally when someone believes in me, like it's a game changer between what you think you can do and what you feel like you can actually achieve. So it it totally separates like reality from a dream for them, which I'm so excited to see kind of where that goes and how it continues to expand. But it was just, like you said, you could really see the change in the girls that day, which was really sweet. I have one more question for you before we go, Sam. What is the biggest goal that you have for the legacy you want to leave behind, whether it's NFL or girls football? Like, what is that number one you want to cross off your checklist and make sure it's kind of your legacy. When I retire, I want women and girls to feel normalized in football at all levels. So I don't want girls growing up now to have to answer the question like, what do you mean you play football? Or like, that's a guy sport, right? And for women coaches and scouts and GMs and head coaches, I'm so excited for there to be no more firsts and for there to be seconds, thirds, fourth, fifths, and then really we lose count, kind of similarly to how it happened with female doctors. I studied that quite a bit, right? No one kind of says like, oh, you're a female doctor, but in the 50s, they did. And so when I retire, I want I want it to be not a thing. I want the NFL Women's Forum soon to be obsolete because I don't want to need it anymore. We, we kind of built a side door for women. I want that side door to you know, be chopped down and they just get in through the front door. And when I retire, I hope it's normal and there's just, uh, you know, equanimity. There's, there's women everywhere. Sam, amazing. Thanks so much for all of this. It's been an absolute pleasure to like hear your entire path, but then to also learn so much about what you're doing for the sport and what it's going to grow into and continue to grow. So I'm so excited. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Caroline. I appreciate it. Of course. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.